Well, I, I, I agree with Elder Renee. We, our worship team was phenomenal this morning. Can we just give them a hand one more time? You know, they're always good, but, you know, there's certain, you know, Sundays where there's a, a strong anointing, and this Sunday was definitely one of those. So thank you to uh, our worship team. Uh, I want to go into part four of our series, uh, Do the Hard Things. And uh, last week, we talked a little bit about <clears throat> how we are to operate in those hard times or in those seasons of trial. And uh, we said the first thing that we need to do is we need to pray, right? If we, if we will refuse to pray, then uh, we'll, we'll stay in hard times a lot longer. We've got to pray. We can't complain in the middle of hard times. Let's, let's pray our way through that. Amen. Uh, we got to do good to others. Um, it helps get the focus off of ourselves. You know, helps us see, you know, things from a different perspective. So during those hard times, do something good for other people. We also want to remember that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So remove impossible from your vocabulary because with God, all things are possible. Right. And you might have to tell yourself that during a hard time. You may be fighting, uh, dealing with the financial difficulty, you know, but it's like, hey, with, with God, all things are possible. We have to start to rehearse that. We have to start to believe that so that we can see God do the impossible in our lives. Not that we just read about it in the scripture. We have to realize that with God, all things are possible. The fourth thing we talked about is that we have to remember that this too is seasonal. Your whole life's not going to be hard unless you just continuously make very, very bad decisions. But oftentimes, God brings us into a season of difficulty and challenge because he's trying to work something out of us or in us. So this, too, is seasonal. So we ask the question, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? Amen? And then lastly, we said that we need to walk by faith. Faith is not uh, just blindly you know, doing things, faith is listening for the voice of God and then responding to that appropriately. And so I'm driving home yesterday, or no, I, I'm driving home last week after service. Uh, in fact, no, it was as I was up here preaching, the Lord said to me, you forgot one. There's something else that the people need to do during hard times. And that's fellowship with one another, Right? We'll see sometimes where people go through a difficulty and then they isolate. And, you know, as they isolate, they just kind of fall off because they separate themselves because of some challenge or some issue that they're going through. And like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when we're in a place of isolation, we become an easier target for the enemy. And so... When we're going through a difficult time, we need to remember and value the fellowshipping of the brethren. We have to come alongside and be honest and transparent with our brothers and sisters in Christ and let them know what we're going through so that they can pray for us, so they can give us counsel, so they can encourage us in the midst of that. Amen? Amen. This is not the time for isolation. We need each other even more in the difficulty. So Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, 
and a brother is born for adversity. Who's your brothers? Do you have, do you have brothers? I mean, have you been transparent enough? Have you been open enough? Have you valued relationship enough to say that you have brothers or sisters in Christ? Because that, that man or that woman was born to help you in the time of adversity. Right? Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So the scripture is full of examples of the importance of entering into fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And fellowship doesn't mean have some chicken and biscuits and good time. Fellowship literally means partnership. We have to partner with one another. We have to care about each other enough to say, Liz, your problems become my problems. Right? And hopefully my problems become yours. And together we can pray each other through. Together we can, we can counsel through. Together we can help one another. That's partnership. That's what we're called to do. That's what we see in the book of Acts. That's what's happening then where everyone's broke. And so if anyone had anything, it's like, well, this ain't about me. This is about the whole. So let me sell what I have so that we can provide the needs for the whole. These people understood fellowship. And I'm just telling you, church, one, uh, one day a week for a couple hours on Sunday morning is not enough to develop true fellowship with one another. If you're not fellowshipping outside of this worship service, we're doing it wrong. <laughs> we're doing it wrong. God has given you brothers and sisters in Christ. Reach out to them. Don't struggle by yourself. Right? Don't go through the difficulty on your own. When God has surrounded you with people who have wisdom and giftings and insight and experiences to help you come out of that even quicker. Amen. Amen. We look in Exodus chapter 17. I want to read this as the last example of the importance of being in fellowship with one another. But it talks about how Amalek came and fought against Israel. Uh, this is Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Uh, verse 9 says, and Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. But when he let down his hand... Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him and set him on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So here's a picture of Moses 
standing with the rod of God in his hand so that the people of God can win the battle down in the valley. But I don't care if you hold a piece of paper up long enough, your arm's going to get tired. And so here's, thank God for brothers who are born for the day of adversity. They roll a stone. They say, Moses, have a seat. Lift up your hands. And Aaron's on one side holding up an arm. And her, her, her is on the other side holding up an arm. So that the people of God can win the battle against their enemies in the valley. In the hard time, we've got to be willing to hold each other up. We've got to be willing to support one another. So that we all can win. So that we all can prevail. Amen? Because it doesn't help any of us for even one of us to lose the battle. Because we are the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. So don't isolate yourselves. You're not the only one who's ever gone through it. You may not even be the only one going through it right now. So do not isolate yourself. Enter into fellowship with one another. Be transparent. Ask for prayer. Be open. And you'll come through that hard season. Amen? Now today what I want to do is I want to look at what are some of the hard things that we need to be willing to do? Because once again, the title of the sermon or the series is Do the Hard Things. Okay, what are some of those hard things that we need to do? I'm, I'm glad you asked. The first one is we need to deny the flesh in order to walk in the spirit. These aren't in order, but, but this is a hard thing. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good at denying my flesh. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. I have to work at it. I have to put boundaries around my life. There's certain things I can't watch, or if I'm watching too much of it, it makes it harder for me to win the battle over the flesh. Right? And so in order for us to walk in the spirit, we have to put the flesh in its place. You can't walk in the flesh and in the spirit at the same time. And so it can be difficult to deny the flesh in order to walk in the spirit. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 Jesus says to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say if anyone is coming after me, but if anyone even desires, right? If you have any desire in you to come after me, to follow me, to be my disciple, this is what you must do. Deny yourself and sacrifice. Then you can follow me. Without denying our flesh and being willing to sacrifice, we cannot follow Christ. It's impossible. You can't feed your flesh and your spirit. You can't, Jesus said it this way, you can't serve two masters. He said you can't serve God and mammon, which is money, but you can't serve God in the flesh. You can't serve righteousness and unrighteousness. You just can't do it. And that is the hard life to live, trying to have a foot in the kingdom and a foot in the world. 
I want a foot in the kingdom because I know that's the right thing, but I still want to be in the world enough to, to, to still be cool to my friends. Be prepared to fall. You're divided. And you cannot stand. Amen? So Jesus is saying, if you even desire to come after me, you have to live a lifestyle where you're denying yourself. You have to live a lifestyle where you're taking up your cross, which is, which is sacrificing just so you can follow me. Now, what is this really all about? We over-spiritualize this. What Jesus is saying is, you've got to have discipline to follow me. If you're just led by your flesh, you will not be able to follow me. If I'm calling you to wake up in the morning to pray or to study my word and, and you keep hitting snooze and say, well, I'll read it tonight. I'll pray tonight. You can't follow Jesus. The other thing that is important to understand about following the Lord and walking in the spirit so that we overcome our flesh is that it is a day by day process. See, Eddie, I used to set myself up for failure. Say, you know, like, this is the last day that I'm going to do this. And, and 30 years from now, it's like, bro, stop it. Stop it. Just don't do it today. Just don't give in to this temptation today. You don't even know if you have 30 more years. So just win the battle today. Right? Just win it today. Just engage in the battle. Just determine in your heart that today I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to sacrifice so that I can follow Christ. So that I can be transformed more and more into his image. Because I want to do the hard thing, which is to walk in the spirit. I think that's where we hurt ourselves as we start thinking too long term. And I'm not against long term thinking. But when it comes to doing the hard things, especially this one of overcoming the flesh, Lord, just give me the grace for today. Just give me the grace that I need for whatever is going to come to tempt me today. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, the apostle Paul, he wrote, and he said, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So Paul is saying, live in unity and in agreement with the Holy Spirit. Have your ear tuned to his voice. Have your heart submitted to his will, so that whatever it is he moves you to do, you, you do. And when you live like that, you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Now, when we hear the word lust, we immediately go to sex. But you can lust for a lot of things, man. You can lust for the approval of people. You can lust for money. You can lust for career. You can lust for knowledge. You, you can lust for a lot of different things. And what's the Bible say? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And so really what Paul is saying here, walk in the spirit and you'll overcome your flesh. Because here's what's going on. You have your spirit, man, and you have your flesh. 
And in the middle is your soul that has to make a decision on who's going to be the master, the flesh or the spirit. And as we choose to walk in the spirit, the voice of the flesh gets quieter. As we continue to walk in the spirit, the temptation of the flesh isn't as great as it used to be. But I have to walk in enough self-discipline to choose the spirit enough that my spirit man becomes a strong man. And that I lean into the spirit man more than the flesh. Because they're contrary to one another. Why? So that you do not do the things that you wish. Now let me explain that. There's this war between the flesh and the spirit. Because the spirit doesn't want you to do what you want to do in your flesh. It wants you to do what you want to do in your spirit. But then the flesh is warring against the spirit because the flesh doesn't want you to do what the spirit wants you to do. Because then it loses control. That's why you can get to a place where you start overcoming something that is in your flesh and, 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 and you start to think to yourself, man, I'm, I'm doing really good. You're, you're, you're about to fall, right? This is what I start saying, man, Holy Spirit, thank you for keeping me. Thank you for your grace that is upon me to overcome that flesh right? And we all have it. There's no one in here that doesn't battle with their, with their flesh. We all have it. They may look different, but we all are engaged in this battle. What we need to set our heart and our mind on is walking in the spirit. Next year, I want to do a, a series on walking in the spirit and what it means to walk in the spirit and how we walk in the spirit because there's a lot that goes into that, but it's pretty simple. Be disciplined, right? We over-spiritualize so many different things as believers. Oh, to walk in the spirit, I have to, it's, no, you have to be disciplined. You have to say no. You know that's not good for you. Say no, Amen. right? You know this is good to you unplug from that to go do this, right? I've told the story many times of, of, of years ago when I'm watching a basketball game and the spirit is saying, go pray. And I'm like, all right, at halftime. I'm serious. I was like, at halftime, this is a good game. So halftime comes, I go pray, no anointing. I'm like, Lord, what's, what's, what's the deal? Where, where are you at? And he says to me, you're following your flesh. See, I have to point that out because when, when you hear the spirit lusts against the flesh, you know, you, you think of the flesh as something that is totally wicked. No, the flesh can be anything that hinders our willingness to do what God is calling us to do. For me, it was a basketball game. And whatever it was that whatever it was that the Lord wanted to do in that moment when he said, unplug from that to come spend some time with me, I missed. Because I wasn't walking in the spirit. I was walking in the flesh. I heard the voice of the spirit. But I said, just a second, Holy Ghost. 
LeBron's playing. That's when I liked LeBron. As a basketball player, I don't have an opinion on him as a person. I don't like him as a basketball player anymore, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> it's important that we realize when we talk about this walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh, there's no neutral ground, right? There's no neutral ground. You're either walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of good. I'm just, I'm just maintaining. No, you're, you're probably in your flesh and not growing. You're not. And let me say this to you. Don't think because you have a battle or you have turmoil going on that that means you're not walking in the spirit. Oftentimes, that's proof that you're walking in the spirit. Because the easy thing to do is to go with the flesh. But when you start obeying the spirit, when you start leaning into the leading of the spirit, it can create problems in this realm that we call the natural. It can create problems in our emotions even. And so don't let the turmoil cause you to stop walking in the spirit just because you want the easy button. We're talking about doing the hard things. Amen? So Paul says to us, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, Paul also wrote this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I and you and I are carnal, sold under sin. Now listen to what Paul says. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. What is he saying? I'm losing the battle. I don't think Paul lived a lifestyle of losing the battle, but at the time where he wrote this, there's something in his life that is causing him to not walk in the spirit. And he's like, I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. For I desire to do the right thing, but I find myself practicing what I hate. I love his transparency here. Because it takes Paul from being super Christian man to just another Christian man. Extremely righteous and holy. Don't get me wrong. Way more righteous and holy than me, but still a man. That's important for us to know because we can read the Bible and we can think about these people we read about in the scripture. And if we don't see their transparency, we can get discouraged. Paul never dealt with this. He just said, for what I am doing, for what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, I do. Verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So if I do what I, what I hate, I'm agreeing with God's ways that what I'm doing is wrong. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And he's not passing the buck, but he's given us a very important truth, spiritual principle for all of us to know. When he says, it's, it's not me that's doing this, it's sin that dwells in me. And this is what he's saying, because remember, we're three parts, spirit, soul, 
and body. In our, in our body dwells just wickedness. And because our soul is captive to our body, that leaks into our soul as well. Right? But it can't touch our spirit. And so Paul is telling us here, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in my body and in my emotions. Because I agree with God that this thing is sinful, whatever it is. What it is doesn't matter. You label it for you. Right? For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. I don't remember who I was talking to last week, but I was like, man, I'm, I'm glad we don't live like 500 years anymore. I'm serious. Can you imagine living 150 years, 200 years, 500 years fighting the flesh? That's a long time to deal with the evil that is in us that irritates our spirit, that even irritates our soul. Because even though our soul has a bit of an appetite for it, we still know it's not good for us, right? I walked in this morning, Robert says, hey, I have something for you. Toss that to me, Stace. This might be dangerous. Told you. (laughs) She's talented, but throwing stuff is not... It's a box, box of milk duds because of my story from last week, right? Where I'm saying, I know these milk duds, the whole big box is not good for me, but it's so good. And so I ate it. Well, that's how we are with our flesh. And, and I'm sorry, that's how we can be in our soul where we know it's not good, but the soul still has an appetite for it. Right? For the good that I will to do, verse 19, I do not do, but the, evil that I, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, the sin nature that is in each and every one of us. Paul says, I then find a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So what is Paul telling us here? that there is nothing good in our flesh, it's just evil. He said it, I find in the law, verse 21, evil is present with me. He's not talking about Satan or the devil. He's saying this stuff, our fallen human nature. No, no, pastor, people are good. No, they're not, we're not. That's why we have to be taught not to lie and cheat and steal. 
If people were good, we wouldn't need laws. Think about that. Right? It's like you, you go to a, you go to a, um, you know, a store, you get a, a cup of coffee, right? And it says, contents of this container are hot. It's like, well, obviously, why do they need to put that on there? Because some goofy person didn't realize that and tried to chug it and hurt themselves. So now we got to put this warning on there. It's the same way with laws. Laws exist. What does that mean? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some person <laughs> chugged it. Laws are because we are not good in ourselves. Because we have a fallen human nature. So we have to start to walk in the spirit, which is a hard thing to do. Because our flesh is warring against that. Amen? Amen. The second thing that can be difficult for us to do And don't stone me for this. But trusting God. Sometimes it can be hard. And as I thought about it, it's like, why why is, when when I'm struggling to trust God, what is going on? Well, it's either I'm out of control and I don't like that. Because I like to think I'm in control, which really is a dangerous place to be. Right? Or I'm just confused about what's going on. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. So, but I know God is in control, but, but, but maybe he's on vacation this week. So, you know, like, those are usually the two reasons why I struggle with trusting God. It doesn't really matter why. We just have to acknowledge that there are times where it's hard to trust the Lord. That doesn't make you a sinful person, doesn't make you a non-believer or a hypocrite. It makes you human. Psalm chapter 37, verse 25, David writes, he says, I've, I've been young and, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. I, I, I remember this. Because this is a man after God's own heart. And so in those times where I'm struggling to trust the Lord, it's like David said, I've lived a long time and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread. So I can trust God. I can trust him. And you know what I start to think about is like, maybe I don't, maybe we don't have a problem trusting God. Maybe we have a problem trusting ourselves and that we're walking in righteousness. Because you see what he says? I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. Now, what makes one righteous? Your faith in God through Christ Jesus, not your performance. And I have to say that Because we can look at our performance and be like, I'm not right. No, your performance may be off, but that doesn't mean your relationship with God is. Right? My son Josh is back here. There's things Josh does that or has done in the past. He's perfect now. But in the past, there's things he's done that I don't agree with, that upset me, 
but it's not like you're no longer my son. I don't know. You're still my son. We got to get this thing right. That's how it is with the Lord. And so when we really think about this, I'm struggling to trust God. And really, it's that we're struggling to trust God, not because we think there's a problem with God. It's because we're looking at ourselves and it's like, well, why would God have good in store for me when I've done this? And I think like that. And I No, you're righteous. David said he's been young and old. He's never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. Trust God. But it's hard. I know. Do the hard things. Trust God. Right? But you just don't understand. Okay, I don't. Trust God. But you've never been through. You're right. Trust God. Well, how can you say that? Well, because 2 Timothy 2 and 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, when it says he remains faithful, that means trustworthy. This is important for us to know, right? If, if we are faithless, unfaithful, it doesn't change who God is. He, he's going to be trustworthy. Whether you are or not. He's going to do his part. Well, my earthly father, I, I get it. Trust me, I, you know, my earthly father wasn't the greatest. But guess what? He doesn't compare to my heavenly father. Even if we are faithless, he remains trustworthy. Why does he do that? Because it's who he is. When it says he cannot deny himself, that word deny means to contradict. This is, Charles, this is just, I'm just good. But why would you be, because it's just who I am. I can't help it. It's part of my character. Oh, it's because he loves us so much. No, it's because he's just good. Yes, he does love us. But even if he didn't, he's just good. He's just trustworthy. He's just faithful. So I don't need to walk around not trusting the Lord. So in those moments where I find it difficult to trust God, oh, he's faithful. I trust you, Lord. Even if I don't really believe that, I say it enough until I start believing it. Right? Because because your mouth can talk you into some stuff, good and bad. You might as well use it to talk you into some good stuff. I trust God. Well, I feel like I'm lying, Pastor, because I don't. That's all right. It's, it's a confession of faith, brother. Right? It's a confession of faith. Name it and claim it. <laughs> no, I trust God. 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 I, I trust God. I trust God. He's, he's faithful. Even when I'm unfaithful, he cannot deny himself. I trust God. I trust God. I trust the Lord. So I don't care about this mountain in front of me. God is still on the throne. I trust him. Amen? 
Because even when we're unfaithful, Tony, he remains faithful because he loves us. Nope. Because he can't contradict who he is. He cannot deny himself. Amen. So let's do the hard thing. Let's trust the Lord because he's trustworthy in all things. Now, it can be hard, but we have to resist the temptation to be in control. Something that I've learned over the years of following the Lord is being out of control, and I'll explain this in a second. Being out of control is a very freeing and, 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 and uh, protected place. And I don't mean like being out of control, like I just do whatever I want. No, realizing that God is in control of my life and I can only do what I can do. And there's a lot of stuff that is up to him. And so I'm not in control of that. I'm not putting my hands on it. I'm just going to do my part and trust him to do his. Right? That can be hard, but we need to do it. It can be hard to make sense of something that happens in our lives that is like, well, this doesn't make sense, God. It, it, it doesn't have to. I've just made that determination. It doesn't have to make sense to me. I trust God. I trust the Lord. Right? Trust God. The last one that we'll share today is we have to leave the familiar place. We're talking about doing hard things. It can be hard to leave the familiar place. And yes, I'm talking about a physical location, but I'm also talking about mindsets, behaviors, habits, ways of being raised. Right? It can be difficult, hard to leave the familiar place. But I want to share with you a couple things, just a couple notes that I wrote down. It's hard to leave the familiar place because it's a comfortable place. And who doesn't like comfort, right? Right? I, I like comfort. When it's cold outside, I, I like being in my bed under a warm blanket. It's, it's comfortable. Yeah, but it's time to get up to go to work. But it's comfortable in here. Get up. Go to work. Right? So that's, that's one of the reasons it can be difficult to leave a hard place is because it's so comfortable. But here's what I want to leave a familiar place because it's so comfortable. But familiar places can also be dysfunctional and detrimental to your relationship with God and the calling that is on your life. Seriously. There are some people, I've met them and I was like this for a period of time, that are more comfortable in dysfunction than they are in order. So they come out of a dysfunctional place and they get to an orderly place and they're good for about a week or two, but then they start trying to create dysfunction and chaos in an orderly place because order freaks them out. They don't know how to function in that. 
And so they try to come into an orderly place and create chaos and dysfunction. No, sometimes God is calling us out of the familiar place because it's dysfunctional. Right? Think about that for just a second. And it can limit us in terms of our ability to fulfill the calling of God that is upon our lives. If God is calling you out of a familiar place, get out. But what about my mama? Get out. But what about my my friend? They've they've been faithful to me since I was a a, a little kid. Get out. God hasn't forgotten about them. What I've learned is when God calls you out of a place, it's not that he's forgotten those other people. Let them stay there if God hasn't called them. He's going to build you over here so you can go back and get them. Isn't that what he did for Moses? Right? When God brought me into the kingdom, I got saved. I had to leave my friends because they were still trying to get me to do the stuff we did. I remember telling them like, bro, we can't talk. We just, we can't talk because you're tempting me. Right? What you're talking about is so tempting. But I really want to, I really want to go after the Lord. And so I had to cut them off for a season. And as I got stronger and stronger and stronger and more mature and I started to like know God, it was like now I could go back and lead some of them to Christ. Some of them didn't hear my message. Remember one of my best friends didn't hear my message. He sent me a letter last year saying, hey, uh, remember when you lived in Dallas and you told me I think I'm better than I am? Because I was telling you I already have a relationship with God. And you told me, and I was like, and, and he's writing this letter. He's like, remember you? T-? He said, well, I want to tell you, you were right. But I also want to tell you I'm getting baptized this Sunday. Okay. I was like, 15, like 15, 20 years of time went through. Yeah. Right? He cut me off because I was telling him, bro, you're not right with God. Well, I think God is different for everybody but no Jesus is the way right so if God is calling you out of a familiar place go and I don't want this to sound mean or harsh but you're going to have to leave whoever you have to leave in order to follow where God is leading you remember these comfortable places are comfortable But oftentimes, there's dysfunction there. Right? Right. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is being questioned by the high priest because he's preaching Christ and they don't like it. He's doing all these miracles and signs and wonders. and, 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 And so they call him before the high priest and the religious leaders of the day. And they're basically like, give an answer for what you're doing. And I like what Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 2. He says, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him 
to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he, meaning God, promised to give it to him, Abraham, for a possession and to his descendants after him. Why did I use this? Well, because God called Abraham out of his country and from his kindred and from his father's house because God wanted to reveal himself to Abraham. See, Abraham's father was a moon worshiper. That's who they worshiped in Ur. That's where Ur of the Chaldeans is where Abraham was. His, his father worshiped the moon. And Abraham was obviously engaged in that as well. And Jewish tradition tells us that they were idol makers. So they made idols and sold those. That was their business uh, and how they provided for themselves. And the Lord shows up one day and says, I want you to come out of that. But my dad, get away from your father's house because he's leading you into dysfunction. But my relatives, yeah, they are too. Get away from them. But where am I going, Lord? To a place I'm going to take you and show you. But where is that? Just start walking. I'm going to lead you. But this is unfamiliar. This is hard. Yeah, I know. But I'm God. And I'm in control. And I call you to do hard things. So Abraham gets up and he starts this journey and he becomes Abraham. (laughs) Right? And I'm not just saying like he was Abram and now he's Abraham. No, I mean he became Abraham. This man of renown whose name still speaks thousands of years later. Why? Because he came out of the familiar place. If Abraham would have said, nah, God, I'm good. We got this good little idol making business going on and, you know, pops ain't really with me leaving. We'd never know his name. He'd be irrelevant. Think about the rich young ruler whom Jesus is saying, go sell it all Give to the poor and come follow me. And he's like, I like my stuff. No, I'm good. We never even learned his name. So the question is, church, as I close, do you want to stay in a familiar place that God is calling you out of and become irrelevant? Or do you want to do the hard thing to come out of some stuff that's dysfunctional anyway so that you can obey God and live a life that speaks even after you leave this planet? Mark and Deb came over to our house, our, our new house, uh, yesterday, and um, they, they, 
they drove by our old house. They'd never been to our new house. And so they drove by our old house and they asked like, I think they asked or maybe my wife was saying something, but like, do you ever drive by the old house? And I was like, nope. I did for about the first week. But after that, I left that thing behind. I'm moving into my new stuff. And to me, that is a physical picture of what some of us are doing in our emotions and in our spirit. That God has brought us out of a place that was familiar, that we loved. Maybe we had great relationships there. But God is saying, I'm done with that. And I'm bringing you here. But we're like Lot's wife. Keep looking back. Keep looking back. Thankfully, we ain't becoming pillars of salt. But we're also not enjoying the bountifulness and the beauty of what God is bringing us into. It's detrimental. We're looking at a dysfunctional place. Even if it wasn't dysfunctional, God has said, I'm done with this. I've got something new for you. But Lord, it's comfortable here. Come on, man. Yes, it can be hard to leave that. But we got to leave it. The reason I would stop driving by there looking at that house is because I'd be like, I can't believe these people put that out there. Why would they? It ain't your house, bro. They can do what they want. I got to stop driving by here because these people making me mad. I don't even know them and I don't like them because they changing my house. It ain't your house no more. Move on. I stopped driving by. I don't care what they're doing with it. Oh, but I raised my kids and I did raise my kids there and I have all those memories up here and in pictures on my cell phone because we don't print pictures off anymore, right? But let me, I want you to consider a couple of things that I'm going to say here. Refusing to answer the call of God to get out of a familiar place can cost you the legacy God is trying to build through you. Think about that. You could be forfeiting the inheritance that God desires to give to your children and their children and their children just because you don't want to come out of a familiar place. Leaving a familiar place can be hard, can be difficult. But staying in one that God has said to get out of is rebellious and selfish. Why do I say selfish? Because there's, there's great things that God has for you in this new place. And there's great people that you're supposed to impact and be impacted by in this new place. But you can't build relationship because you're mourning old place once again I'm not just talking about a physical location it can be mindsets ways of thinking well but this is how this is how our family has always done it yeah but but God is bringing you out of that to establish something that's more orderly and more 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 bountiful and there's greater blessing into 
you might be part of one of those families like I'm a part of, where pretty much most of them have disowned me because I'm a sellout. It's like, okay. What does God say about me? I love y'all and we got the same blood coursing through our veins, but I'm not living this life to please you. Right? Leaving the familiar place, I'm sorry, refusing to leave the familiar place when God is telling us to get out, it can be selfish. Because he's not just calling you out, calling us out. He's calling you out for those who will come after you as well. I think about like when my parents set us all down and said, hey, we're moving to Wisconsin. And I I remember the first thing, well, actually, I was riding with my stepdad in the car. And he said, hey, uh, we're we're moving to Wisconsin. I said, ain't that where they have like blizzards? And he's like, yeah, it gets cold there, and, but it's going to be good. And I said, well, th- like, where's East Conson? Because I thought it was West Conson. Where's East Conson? I was in fifth grade, so don't make too much fun of me. Right? <laughs> right. Where's East Conson? He's like, what? It's Wisconsin. Oh, okay. But I thank God for bringing us out because I got to Wisconsin and it was like, dude, like the way that we've been living is really warped. It's really dysfunctional. Right? Like it, it just, this makes no sense. And I remember going to, uh, cause we literally went from like the ghetto to middle class overnight. I remember my first day of class. I, I know I'm telling a lot of stories. I'll wrap up here soon. My first day of class, I walk into to my fifth grade class and there's no other black kids in there. And it's like, this is weird. And all of them had like shoes tied around their desk. And I'm like, that's, that's weird. Why do all these white kids got this extra pair of shoes? And then three days later, it was gym class. So I remember sitting there in, in my desk and the teacher saying, all right, we're about to go to gym. Put your gym shoes on. And all these kids start taking their shoes off the desk, taking their shoes off and putting on their gym shoes. And I was like, oh my goodness. I just gotta be honest with you with the way I was thinking. White people have different shoes for gym class? blew my mind because I my shoes was for school gym football all, everything you know what I mean <laughs> just get out a toothbrush and clean them jokers you know what I mean get a little dishwashing soap and some hot water clean it up right because I got grass stains from the football game <laughs> but coming to Wisconsin elevated what I thought my life could become If I'd have stayed with my family, I may not be doing what I'm doing right now. But God called my family out. And I believe, I truly believe this with all my heart, it's because he had a plan for my life. 
They were saying it can't happen if he stays in the inner city in Columbus, Ohio. For me, it, could hap- it, can, it can happen for other people. There's great people that come out of those places. But for me, God had to get me out. I think about going to Dallas, Texas. And it was tough to leave. But I got to Dallas, Texas, and I saw young people my age owning businesses that were thriving. And I was like, wow. I saw young people like passionately worshiping the Lord. It's like, wow. I'm just telling you, church, God is calling us out of familiar places, familiar mindsets, familiar ways of operation. Because there's more he wants to do and there's more that he wants to show us and there's more that he wants us to become. And it ain't even all just about you. It's about those who will come after you. Amen? So next week we're going to continue looking at some of these hard things that we're called to do. And I just encourage you to get online this week and re-listen to this message and pray through it. Lord, how does that apply to me? What do I need to do? Right? Because I believe that the Lord has a word for each one of us in this. As I was putting this together, God was speaking to me about some things that, that need to change. And it's like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. We're going into a new year, a new season. I'm ready. I'm going to trust you at a greater level. I'm going to be more willing to move out of that familiar place. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to walk uh, to the best of my ability with your grace in greater levels of the spirit so that I do not fulfill the lust of my flesh. God has great things in store for us, church. But we are going to have to be disciplined. We're going to have to trust God. We're going to have to come out of some stuff that we love. But if we're honest about it, it ain't good for us. Amen. Amen. Father, we glorify you today. 